Welcome. Greetings, salutations. I'm glad to have you here. As this podcast is called Wrestling with Worldwide Willis. And here we talk about pro wrestling. And this wrestling podcast is brought to you by the LMG Podcast Network. I'm glad to have you again here, folks. I'm glad. Welcome in. Take a seat. Um, whatever you may be doing, I appreciate you for tuning in. Today, we're going to talk about some matches of the week, of course. Uh, we're going to talk about some top fives, of course. And we're going to talk about the big story right now, and that is the bloodline and Jay Uso. Uh, we're going to talk about AEW Collision um, and potentially Forbidden Door. And then, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about a few other things in there in between. Now, we're going to start with our matches of the week. And first, we have MJF and Adam Cole, baby. They both had a great match on Dynamite last week. And it was just an outstanding, outstanding from bell to bell. Um, the match, <clears throat> AEW has a, a match called the Championship Qualifier Match. So basically, I believe it's 30 minutes long, has a 30 minutes time limit, I believe, or 60 minute time limit. I want to say 30. Um, but basically, um, I really like this like stipulation. But basically, MJF is the world champion, right? And if you want to challenge for the title, you have to go through and challenge MJF in a championship qualifier match, right? So if you beat them, then you get another opportunity at the champion for the actual belt. Like the belt is actually on the line. But the stakes stakes are also on the person who is challenging the, the champion. So in a championship qualifier match, if I'm, if I'm challenging the champion, if I lose – that eliminates me from being a, in contention for the title. So I can't, um, I, while that person has a, the belt in their hands, I can no longer challenge them to a match. So it's, it's really cool and it's, it makes stakes on both sides, right? It doesn't, it isn't just, you know, I challenge you, you can lose your belt, but for me, I really don't lose anything, right? Um, it's really cool that there's stakes on both sides, right? That's always makes stuff more fun uh, to watch. So we had, again, MJF, one of the best wrestlers out there, one of the best, uh, probably the best on the mic right now, to be honest. Um, he he kind of sometimes go for the, goes for the long, uh, the low-hanging fruit sometimes. Like he was going at Adam Cole about his body, about Vince McMahon not believing in him, and that's why um, Adam Cole left WWE and NXT to come to AEW. Um, he talked about a few different things and it's kind of, it's like the obvious stuff. You know, if you're thinking about going against, um, Adam Cole in a duel on the mic, I mean, those are probably things you would touch on. Um, so, um, you know, it was a really cool match. Um, I, it, and actually the ending was the time went out. So I think it was Adam Cole hit MJF with his finishers and knee across the back of his head a running knee to the back of his head and he was about to pin him. But as it got one, two, then the time of the match ran out. So there really was no victor, was no loser. Um, I think there did that as a smart way to kind of, you know, get out of there being a winner or loser and extend it and maybe have the championship match later on down the line at a pay-per-view or something. So a uh, really cool match. Honestly, we didn't deserve that match free. Right, that's the type of match that should be on pay-per-views, should be on, you know, uh, on a, behind a paywall, basically. So, uh, really good match. I thought, seems like AEW's really having a sense of urgency right now. It seems like they understand that, you know, the fandom is kind of, I don't want to say dwindling, that's a little far, but it is sort of becoming a thing where, you know, you know, uh, it's not as not what it used to be. This isn't 2019 AEW. This isn't even 2021 AEW, right? Um, where they were packing out shows all over the country. Right now, it's it's dwindling a little bit, right? They can they can sell out Chicago, but they can't sell out just any arena like the WWE can. 
So um, a really good match. It seems like they understand that, you know, they're having a little bit of shortage in ratings, a little bit of shortage in fans showing up, fan turnout. So they're trying to put up big matches on regular TV, on their regular shows to kind of get people to come out, which is smart. You know, as a businessman, it's a smart thing to do. So, um, and, you know, as wrestling fans, we appreciate it. You know, always seeing, you know, really good wrestling for free. Always good. Always, I'll sign up for that any day. Um, our next match of the week candidate is um, an interesting one. It is a, in WWE on the, the previous SmackDown this past Friday, we had a tag team gauntlet match. Now, I love, similar to championship qualifier matches, I love gauntlet matches, uh, especially with tag teams. So essentially what a gauntlet match is, is you have, uh, instead of having, you know, five different teams uh, go against each other at the same time, what you do is you have two teams go up against each other. And it's kind of like when you're playing basketball, you used to have practice and there was two, there was, you know, you have the offense and the defense going up against each other. And then you'd have two other teams on the sideline just waiting for whoever scores. That team keeps the ball. They go the other way. Okay, that new team is hopping on to go on. That's kind of like the gauntlet match. So you had um, Sheamus and uh, Ridge the Fridge, Ridge Holland against, I want to say they went against, oh, Street Profits first, right? Those two teams going up against each other. You still have uh lwo on the side you have pretty deadly you have top uh top dollar and his homie over there both of them trash but whatever and then you had um i forgot my other tag team over there but anyways um sheamus and ridge holland and the brawling brutes as they call them go up against street profits okay cool they actually have a really fun interaction really fun match those teams always uh have a really good chemistry um, the Brawling Brutes defeat um, the Street Profits. Okay, cool. Street Profits are eliminated. Brawling Brutes stay in the ring. Then they had a new team come in. I think it was LWO, I believe. Excuse me if I'm getting the order wrong. But essentially, a new team comes in to face the Brawling Brutes. Brawling Brutes wins that matchup. Then, <laughs> it was funny, Top Dollar and his homie walk in the ring, and they're like, oh, man, they about to I don't know how the Brawling Bruce is going to get through this one. Like, this is the third match. You know, this is the third tag team to go against in a row. But then Sheamus just, you know, Haluga kicked uh, top dollar right in the chin. One, two, three, over in like three seconds. So then Pretty Deadly, who is a really good upcoming tag team, comes into a heel tag team, gets into the ring to face the Brawling Brutes. Uh, to, so basically the Brawling, the Pretty Deadly, kind of got a really good, a nice spot. Like, it's kind of like being number 30 entrance in the Royal Rumble, right? You you kind of got a really nice spot. You got to guys take take advantage of, you know, picking apart the wrestlers who have already been in there for a while. So Pretty Deadly comes in, and they're going against the Brawling Brutes again who have to face three other tag teams. So they're, they're tired. They're beat up. And Pretty Deadly finds a way to get the W. And it was a really fun match. Uh, again, I love gauntlet matches. It's really fun. It's entertaining. You get a bunch of different styles in, in the ring at the same time uh, or back to back to back. And, uh, you know, I love tag team wrestling. I'm always an advocate for tag team wrestling. It's just a beautiful uh, format. Um, you know, sometimes it can get formulaic, a little too formulaic at the times. Like sometimes it's like, all right, we get it. You know, the, the, the one guy has to get beat up for a while and then start making a little bit of a comeback. And then his partner's over there, like, going crazy, waiting for the hot tag. The hot tag comes. He gets in the rings, clothesline, 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 then hits a finisher or something like that. You know, it can get formulaic at times, but when it's done well, it's nothing like it. Nothing like really good tag team wrestling. And I will say, pretty deadly, uh, the, the reason for this gauntlet match, tag team gauntlet match, was to see who will face Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn and Money in the Bank for the tag team titles, unified tag team titles. And so Pretty Deadly, again, they they win the whole thing, and Pretty Deadly will face off against KO and uh, Sami Zayn. And I think it was a really good choice. Like, Pretty Deadly comes over from NXT. They were really good in NXT UK. Came over to – so they came over from NXT UK over to NXT, 
at first I was like, who the hell are these guys? Like, just think like um, Fandango and Tyler Breeze. Think like very androgynous, very like feminine style wrestlers who wear like very feminine style gear. But honestly, like they're really good. They're over from the UK. They're really, uh, really cool gimmick. Um, they're funny on the microphone. They're really entertaining. Like they're the type of wrestlers where I would tune in to watch them wrestle, but I would also tune in to watch them host the show just because I just want to see them on TV because they're really good. So Pretty Deadly, again, came over from UK, uh, NXT UK, came over to NXT. I wasn't a believer at first, but then they won me over. They're still a heel. They've been a heel the whole time. So it's not like these people are good guys, but they're just so funny. And so they find really creative ways to win, to cheat. It's funny. You know what I'm saying? You got to give people respect. You know what I'm saying? When they find new, interesting ways to win. And now that they've come from NXT over to the main roster, I think Triple H and the creative team have done a really good job of like presenting them as unlikable. They're really easy to not like, but they've like doubled down on it. And they found really like whoever's producing their matches, shout out to them. But like they've just found some really cool ways to cheat and win tag team matches and they have a cool finisher um so think of i'll try to explain their finisher as best i can but essentially one of the members of the pretty deadly picks up the guy basically like he's about to do a uh you know a, a, think of batista like where he would spike a guy you pick him up and just drive him or or triple h where you pick him up and uh drive him to the to the mat um and then the next guy he basically picks him up and then like he's about to power him to the map, but the other guy comes uh, across and basically just hits a diamond cutter, like reverse diamond cutter. And so it's a really cool move. You can look it up on YouTube. I probably did a trash job, trash job of explaining it, but it's a really cool move. Um, not the craziest move you've seen. These guys aren't pretty deadly, aren't high flyers, but they're good in the ring and they're really like savvy. You know, they aren't, going to wow you with a bunch of crazy athleticism, but they're crafty. They work really well together. Um, and they're, you know, they're ring smart. You know what I'm saying? Like they do little stuff that you're like, ah, okay. That's what a heel team would do um, in this match, you know? So um, I always respect that. I really appreciate guys who are ring smart and who are, you know, mature about going about wrestling and thinking very uh, realistic ways of getting away, no matter if it's cheating or not. Um, so, yeah, pretty deadly tag team gauntlet match on this previous SmackDown. Really fun. I would suggest go check it out. And uh, actually, after the match, KO and Sammy came out um, after pretty deadly won. Pretty deadly's kind of celebrating the win, and they kind of have an interaction with each other. Um, and it was pretty funny. Like, I think the cool thing about KO and Sammy versus pretty deadly is those two could not, they could not, I think, I think Money in the Bank is two weeks from now. But, like, that's two weeks where you could just have those two groups talking on the microphone against each other. And it'll, it'll be just as entertaining as any match they do, just because both groups are really good on the microphone. So, uh, really looking forward to that one. But uh, those are our matches of the week. Now, it's kind of hard. I know AEW fans, you got a new AEW collision. Really good show. And want to talk about that first. But actually, the big story. The King story, the the story that's, you know, went across the whole wrestling community is the bloodline drama. And in the latest episode of the bloodline drama, as we say, Jay Uso finally decides to partner with his brother or side with his brother over Roman Reigns and the rest of the bloodline, Paul Heyman and Solo Sokoa. And... It, it was again, it was the end of the they've been doing a really good job of making it feel important because they put the bloodline, whatever bloodline drama is happening, whatever, you know, new storyline is occurring in the bloodline storyline. They put that as the main event, essentially. And so they get on the mic. Um, Roman's like, you know, obviously acknowledged me. And he's basically just saying, like, you know, Jimmy is jealous of Jay and that, you know, um, Jay needs to just come on home. He's the next, you know, Roman is basically grooming Jay to be the next tribal chief. 
but he's just telling them like, you can't be the tribal chief now, but I am grooming you to be the next one to keep the family afloat, to keep the, uh, this family on top. We got to have a tribal chief in place. And right now it's me, but I want to hand it off to you in the future. Basically talking to Jay. And then Jay comes out and Jay's like, you know, kind of questioning things. And Roman is basically saying like, oh, and then Jimmy comes out and Jimmy's like telling Jay, like, dude, don't listen to, don't listen to what Roman is telling you. Like he's, he's bullshit. Like he's not giving you good information. Like you got to side with me. I'm your brother. Like you can trust me as your brother over your twin, as your twin brother over Roman Reigns, uh, who has manipulated you and literally beat you up on numerous occasions, um, you know, undeservably. So, yeah, Jimmy's just trying to, you know, get him to understand, like, you got to pick me. Like, and so Jay is kind of caught up in between. Roman is throwing out false accusations about, you know, Jimmy saying he didn't want Jay to be a part of the uh, bloodline originally or didn't want him to be the eventual tribal chief when this whole thing started. So it's it's just a lot of stuff going on. And that's the cool thing about this is like the bloodline started with Jay and Roman Reigns. Like obviously Paul Heyman was there, but like it started with Jay going up against Roman and Jay Roman having to beat Jay down to where Jay finally submitted and finally was like, all right, I'm the right hand man to the tribal chief, you know? And so now we're getting it to where Jay is basically saying like, he's kind of bucking up against uh, Roman again. Like he did three years ago when this whole thing started. And Jimmy this time is telling him like he did back three years ago, don't do it. You can't trust Roman. Don't do it. And, you know, as we know, at the beginning of this thing, three years ago, Jimmy eventually, you know, also bowed down to Roman. But in this case, he, he's not. Jimmy's, um, you know, holding firm and he's trying to get Jay to come over. Eventually, Jay says, you know, Jimmy, you're out of the bloodline. And everybody's going crazy because they think, well, everybody's booing because they think Jay has turned on his brother. But then Jay eventually says, I'm out, too. And then turns around and super kicks the hell out of Roman Reigns. And Roman does a great job of selling it. And, uh, yeah, he goes down. The crowd is going crazy, going crazy, because now Jay sided with his brother. And those two are now, you know, big-time baby faces. The Usos are together, baby faces against the bloodline. Right, that's just great storytelling. And then Solo tries to, you know, Solo, obviously, he's still with Roman. Still Roman's bodyguard, basically. He come up, comes up to get the Usos. Usos super kick him. I guess the twins super kick. And then they twin super kick Roman. Roman sells it even better this time. Looked like he damn near got knocked out. But, yeah, bloodline drama, man. It's in a great place right now. Sounds like we're going to get, at Money in the Bank, we're going to get um, the Usos versus Roman and Solo Sokoa. And that's going to be amazing. Right, it's, it's being called Bloodline Civil War, and I'm here for it, all the way here for it. Um, I think that match is going to go crazy. Um, I'd love to see that Sami Zayn is still a little part of it, you know what I mean, nudging Jay in the right direction. And, uh, yeah, really excited for it. If, as I'm sure so, most of you guys, if you're listening to this podcast, I'm sure you've seen the clip of, you know, Jay super kicking Roman. And how crazy that crowd went. So, uh, really excited about that. Really excited about Money in the Bank match and uh, to see where it goes from here. Sounds like the bloodline's over. I just want to have like a little, you know, moment of silence for the bloodline, my favorite storyline ever. And so, when when Jay kicked Roman, there was a little sadness in my heart. You know what I mean? A little piece of me died at that moment because I love the bloodline. Because you just saw in my last episode. I love factions. So to think of my one of my favorite factions of all time, potentially my favorite, uh, potentially like the one I love the most, now being, you know, now no longer a thing, it hurts. It hurts. may take a couple weeks to recover, to be honest with you. But uh, yeah, super excited for that match. All right. Next, we're going to talk about AEW Collision. AEW Collision 
is the new Saturday night show that AEW is putting on on a weekly basis. So for those that don't watch AEW, AEW has a Wednesday night show, which is AEW Dynamite, and they have a weekly Friday show, AEW Rampage, right? They've, they've had like the two week, kind of like, or two show per week model, similar to WWE, who has Raw and SmackDown. And now AEW is adding a third show on Saturdays. Now, some would say that seems like a lot, seems like, you know, overextending yourself. Honestly, I think that's the case. However, sounds like they're going to do it like a brand split to where they have a roster specifically for AEW Collision, who may dibble and dabble in other, you know, may show up on Dynamite, may show up on Rampage, but for the most part are, you know, hard aligned with Collision. So um, it was a really fun show, a really good show overall. Um, It was kind of cool just to like, kind of took you old school, right? Like, we haven't had wrestling on Saturday nights in a while, uh, as far as like a weekly show. Like that's more like of eighties, barely of even a little bit of the nineties, like way of thinking. Like I think they used to have WWE, WWF superstars was a television show, and that was like the weekly show, um, which was on a Saturday. So um, the int- the the theme song to AEW Collision was cool. Uh, it was like an Elton John song, so it was pretty cool. And um, yeah, so to start out, we had, um, I want to say to start out, we had, oh, of course, how did I forget this? The start was, we're in, so AW Collision, this is the debut episode, this is the first time this was ever being shown on television, and it's in Chicago. Now. The biggest thing on people's minds was in Chicago, CM Punk is supposed to show back up. What happens? As soon as the thing comes on, CM Punk comes out and cuts the promo. Crowd is going nuts. Crowd is going absolutely nuts. And basically, CM Punk cuts a promo about because the reason CM Punk left was due to some drama. If you know anything about CM Punk's history, he just, he always ends up in drama. It's just one of those, it's like, can't get right. You know, the character can't get right. Just somehow, some way, just caught up in some stuff. Um, He just opens his mouth and has some heat backstage. Um, So the reason he left, he got injured. So it was like a legit injury. But also, he had an issue with people in the locker room because he was popping off and saying some crazy stuff about people in like real, like in, he'd be in wrestling interviews, like a press conference, like a post-game press conference almost. And he would talk crap about other wrestlers, like in real life, like shoot style. And obviously at one point or another, he was talking about the elite and which is Kenny Omega and um, the Young Bucks. And he was talking crap about them. And they came and see him, just like any grown man would. If I talk trash about you to the public, that person I'm talking trash about is going to come see me. We're going to, you know, have an altercation. We're going to have a physical discussion. And um, that's what happened. And it was a bunch of hoopla. Both the elite and CM Punk got suspended. It was a whole big drama. Honestly, it was was at that point where I kind of backed away from AEW a little bit just because it became more about what's happening behind the scenes rather than what's happening in the ring. And I'm not, I'm not like, I like to know the dirt sheets and know what's going on, but also if the behind the scenes stuff is more focused than actually what's going on in the ring and in the arena, I'm good. I'm straight. I'm gonna go back to WWE where no drama. I ain't got to worry about none of that. So um, again, so CM Punk is making his debut at AEW Collision this past Saturday night. And he cut his promo. Everybody's waiting for it. He's obviously really deadly on the mic. Um, you never know what he's gonna say. I thought it was I thought it was a good promo. Like I've seen people on online, like on Twitter, like, oh my God, that promo, that's up there with the pipe bomb. That's up there with some of his best promos ever. I didn't think that. I honestly didn't. I thought it was okay. I thought it was solid. You know, like. I've seen I've seen CM Punk do way worse to people, 
you know, I've seen CM Punk, you know, destroy a microphone. And in this one, you know, kind of said some very vague stuff about coming back and people being soft and he's not going to apologize and, you know, or anything like that. It was just, I don't know. It came off very like out of touch, um, not really understanding where you sit in the whole like wrestling community and how the, like, if you ask most people, like most people are kind of over CM Punk, right? He's, I loved CM Punk. CM Punk is one of my favorites. When he first came back, I was all in. I was all in. He's one of my favorite wrestlers to ever come through WWE. So when he came back to, when he came to WWE, uh, when he came to AEW, I was super excited, obviously. Like it was amazing, but then it got old a little bit. And then, you know, I love a heel CM Punk even more and he never turned heel. But the reason he didn't turn heels because I think it was an ego thing. He likes being back and getting all the love and adulation from the crowd, but he didn't ever want to turn into a bad guy because people really don't like him in real life. You know what I mean? It ain't just like, oh, you're a bad guy on, on television, but in real life, we all love you. He's a sweetheart. No, people just straight up do not like CM Punk. Like ask Seth Rollins about CM Punk. Hates him, right? Hates his guts. So I just think, I don't know, the, his CM Punk's promo came off very like out of touch. I'm just going to double down on what I did, my immature behavior. And AEW has to just deal with it because I'm a big time star and I draw money. You know, and it just looked, I don't know, this whole thing kind of seemed like AEW just like, all right, forget our morals, forget you know, order and etiquette. We're just trying to make money right now. We're kind of desperate. So we need a big time star like CM Punk. So we're just going to accept whatever he, whatever he gives us, we're going to accept. And, uh, and I think that's kind of wrong. I'm not cool. I'm not down with that. So I thought his promo was solid, but yeah, it seemed very out of touch, right? It just seemed like he didn't really reflect on anything he did on his side. So um, overall, the matches were really good. Um, Wardlow versus uh, Luchasaurus was really cool. Um, it's kind of weird. So AEW has a TNT championship. It's kind of like a, a television title. And, you know, it's one of those titles where it seems like AEW switches who has it every other week. So if, if whoever wins it usually loses that belt like two weeks later. And that's what happened to Wardlow here. He lo- loses the title to Luchasaurus, and Christian is Luchasaurus's manager. So I'm assuming some people are saying the match was for Luchasaurus. He was, like, in the match, but the title actually goes to Christian. I don't know how that works. I don't know the whole – I haven't been tuning in week, week to week like that. But essentially, Christian, I believe, is a champion. We'll see how long it happened, how long it lasts. Apparently, it just seems like the TNT title was just, like – almost like 24-7 title used to be in WWE, you know. It's kind of silly, kind of lost its flair. Um, then we have uh, Buddy Matthews versus uh, El Dorado, El Idolo, and uh, a really good match, really good match. If anybody, like as a recent WWE fan, Andrade is really good. He had an amazing run in NXT. Uh, with Zelina Vega as his manager, came over to the main roster in WWE. Didn't hit like that. Kind of was on the on the bench for a while there. They didn't use him like he should have been used. And even he went over to AEW. Even then, wasn't used as well as he should be. And so to see him back and have a really good match against Buddy Matthews, who's also really good, who's a part of the faction House of Black, one of my favorite factions out there. My favorite AEW wrestler is probably either Orange Cassidy or uh, Brody King in House of Black. So I really like to see how anytime I can see House of Black, I'm down. Um, and so, again, Andrade versus Buddy Matthews, really good. Both like similar builds, bigger cruiserweights. I don't even know if they're cruiserweights, more like light heavyweights, but uh but yeah, they both do really crazy stuff in the ring. A really fun matchup. And uh, they both really delivered. And so shout out to them. Then we had 
Um, Miro came out. Miro is, if, if you watch WWE, you know him as Rusev. But Miro uh, came out, had a squash match, basically, just to show that he's in action. He's kind of been on the bench as well. Uh, I like Miro. I think he has a lot of talent. And I kind of like his, like, Redeemer gimmick. And his his promos are pretty good, like, as the Redeemer. So I'm kind of interested to see where, where he goes with that. Uh, then we had um, we had the women's tag team match. That's correct. And um, we had Tony Storm versus uh, Ruby Soho versus Nightingale and Sky Blue. And it was a really cool match. Actually, I, I've had an issue with AEW's women's division. Sometimes I know it feels like sometimes I'm really hard on the women's divisions of both AEW and WWE, but I just I have high expectations just because I know what they can do. I really love Tony Storm. She's top tier. Uh, Ruby Soul's solid. I think Nightingale is really good. Like she's sneaky, got a lot of potential. Um, she is the strong, I think the strong style champion of um, New Japan. And yeah, she shows it. She's really good. And uh, Sky Blue is from Chicago. So she had a little home home court advantage. And uh, this was a cool one. Uh, <clears throat> Nightingale and Sky Blue get the win. But I'm interested where they go from there. You know, AEW has a problem where they don't have a ton of talent in the women's division, but they also don't push the talent that they have, right? They might, let's say they have eight matches on the show. They're going to, they're only, only one of those matches is going to be a women's match, you know, and that's not the disparity. That's not the diversity you want in your card. Where in WWE, there's eight matches, four might be women's, three might be women's, you know, at least three, and then there's a, a promo segment or something like that. You know, it's a lot more sprinkled in. It actually makes the women feel important, whereas in AEW, that's not the case. Um, and they have some really good talent over there. Um, so people like Tony Storm, Britt Baker, um, what's my girl's name? Uh, Jamie, I'm actually searching her now. Oh, Jamie Hayter. Why did I forget her last name? Jamie Hayter, one of my favorite wrestlers out there. She a baddie too. But Jamie Hayter is amazing in the ring. A uh, British professional wrestler. Like one of my favorites to actually watch. She's very physical. She kind of, you know, she reminds me a little bit of Gunther as far, as far as her style. Like she's extremely physical. And that's, you know, me. If you listen to me at all, you know, I like my, my issue sometimes with the women's division is it feels like they're so friendly, like they're such nice people that they don't want to, you know, really hit their opponents hard or hit them with everything because they have to go backstage and they're friends and they're close and they're, you know, and they're cordial and things like that. I, I wish, sometimes Jamie Hayter just be taking these girls' heads off. And I like that. That's the way it should be. It should stay professional, right, still. But, like, we still have to do a job. We can't be out here. Our punches can't look fake. Our moves can't look fake. Our timing can't be way off. And that's the thing about AEW. They don't have a de de developmental uh, gym. Like, they don't have a performance center where these people can go and try things out and get better each and every day due to coaches and all that. They don't have that. They want you. They want to call you, pay you, and you go out there and wrestle, right? Um, they don't want to develop you. And Tony Khan has said, He's not in the interest of that type of business, which personally I would like to do the developmental part, make sure they're good because there's a lot of, <laughs> there's a lot of like Twitter accounts out there that are dedicated purely to like botches, AEW botches. If you don't know what botches mean, botches means like mess ups, mistakes, you know, mistimed moves or missing on something or getting somebody hurt or something, you know, something went wrong, maybe even accidentally or just laziness, whatever it may be. There's a lot of botches in AEW. There's botches everywhere, right? Uh, WWE has botches too, but a lot less just because they have a performance center. They get those, those mistakes out the way early, and then they develop, whereas AEW is not that way. But I want to shout out Jamie Hayter. 
think she's hurt right now, but that's my favorite women's wrestler in AEW right now. All right. Next, we have um, on the card for Collision. Then we had uh, the claim came out. That was cool, whatever. Then, uh, you know, in the main event, we had CM Punk and FTR versus uh, Juice Williams, Juice Robinson, sorry, Jay White and Samoa Joe. Joe, 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 Joe. I love Samoa Joe. I've loved him since first time I saw him. Uh, Big fellas represent. And Joe is just amazing, right? He's like 52 years old, however old he is. Still really good in the ring. Um, But yeah, against FTR. Again, I talk about physicalness. I know I say physical 90 times on the podcast, but I really love FTR. One of the best tag teams in the world. And uh, yeah, CM Punk. CM Punk looked pretty good. Like this is first like official match back and looked pretty good. You tell he was <clears throat> a little rusty, but overall hit it well and uh, showed off showed, showed off pretty well. I do think. I don't know. I haven't. My issue also with AEW is like, you put him, you put CM Punk in his home hometown. Like, what happens when you go to, I don't know, California, which is, you know, elite country. Like that dude's gonna get booed out the arena, you know. So like, yeah, he got a really good reception in Chicago, of course, that's his hometown. But I am interested to see once they start traveling, what. CM Punk's reactions will be from the crowd because I'm there's a lot of people who are upset with him still, and that promo did not help, you know. So, but overall, I think AEW Collision was a success, a uh, really good card. The show looked good, it looked important, it didn't look like a run of the mill weekly show, it looked like they really put their you know A game into it. So, that was great. Um, lastly, as far as like topics. I really enjoyed Charlotte versus Bianca's promo on uh, SmackDown this past week. As I've talked about in the last episode, Bianca slowly started to turn into a heel. Now, I will say after this promo with Charlotte, I'm not so sure it'll be a heel, Bianca, but I can't, but I feel like it's more of a a heel-ish Bianca, right? I don't think she'll be a bad guy for a while, but I do think they're letting her loose. She didn't have those baby face shackles on her, you know, and that was a cool thing about this promo over Charlotte on the uh, Grayson Waller show, Grayson, the Waller effect, whatever they call it. Um, but Bianca and Bianca and Charlotte was spitting like Charlotte was basically saying, like, I deserve to be the number one contender against Oscar because I'm Charlotte Flair. Like, that's my only reason I need to explain. I'm Charlotte Flair. I'm like a 14 or 15 time champion and it is what it is. You know, whenever I want to show up and whenever I want to show up and fight for a title, I should be rewarded that due to who I am. And Bianca's like, nah, I don't work like that. You know what I'm saying? I just lost to Oscar. I deserve a rematch. Plain and simple. And so Bianca's basically saying like, yeah, you're a 14 times champ, Charlotte. However, I am the longest reigning women's champion in WWE history. So, like, my resume speaks for itself. And, you know, uh, whenever Charlotte and Oscar go go up against each other, Bianca was saying, like, I'm going to be there waiting. Whoever wins, I'm going to pull up on you to try to get my title back, basically. And it was a really fun uh, interaction. We rarely see those two talk. And I will say, when Charlotte and Bianca go up against each other or you know, in a promo style, it's amazing. Like, even if you go back to NXT, there was a segment where Charlotte was talking to Rhea and Bianca's, like, pulling up in that one. And it's like, yo, 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 like, why are you so worried about her? Like, I should be the next one in line, you know? And so they have a really fun segment in NXT back then. I think that's kind of where they saw, both of them saw, like, oh, we have really good chemistry together. Hope we get to work together again. So I'm hoping the thought is that maybe we get a triple threat match, Charlotte, Bianca, and Asuka at SummerSlam. I don't think they're going to do this for Money in the Bank. I think they're like, this is a big time matchup. This is Charlotte, Asuka, and Bianca could be WrestleMania 
worthy and Charlotte and Bianca could be WrestleMania worthy. So I'm hoping what they do is either do triple threat match, Oscar, Charlotte, Bianca for the title, or just do have Charlotte beat Oscar and money in the bank. And then have Charlotte and Bianca go one-on-one at SummerSlam. I hope that's the case because we haven't really seen Charlotte and Bianca go up against each other in low key, like outside of Rhea Ripley, Charlotte and Bianca might be the two best athletes and two best wrestlers in the business right now. So that's a matchup everybody wants to see. It's a dream matchup. So I hope we get that. I really do. But I will say the reason I'm so excited for that matchup is due to this previous uh, promo segment they had with each other. It was really good. Now, to finish it off, we have our top five super kicks. Now, I know when you heard super kick, you thought of one person and one person only, but you may be surprised who I have number one. That, that folks, is called foreshadowing. Now, at number five for my list of top five super kicks, number five, we have Kevin Owens. Kevin Owens, I think, has definitely has the best super kick I've seen as far as from a big guy. He's not the tallest guy in the world, but he's a bigger guy. Really good super kick, uses it a lot, but it's effective each time, right? It's, and he puts it on, right? He doesn't hold back. He doesn't make it look cute. He doesn't hit him in his shoulder. Like he really kicks him, you know, in the chest or upper chest, whatever. And I just think he, when he does it, it always feels important because he doesn't overuse it. There's so many wrestlers out here using the super kick way too often, young books included. Um, and so I'm really happy that Kevin Owens uses it and puts like some, you know, respect on it. He didn't just use it as a regular move all the time. He uses it. It's not his finish or anything. But however, it does feel important whenever he does use it. Uh, and he uses it. He, it creates impact. Right. You can tell by even the wrestlers who sell it, they sell it pretty good because they know it's it's a quality move. Um, so Kevin Owens, number five, number four, we have Dolph Ziggler. Now I will say, not a Dolph Ziggler fan at all. One iota. Couldn't care less about Dolph Ziggler. However, his super kick honestly might be the most beautiful super kick, you know, and the most comparable to a man we'll talk about later, but yeah, it just looks good. It looks like you're watching an old, you know, 1990s match when he does a super kick. Uh, very, very, it's like spot on what HBK did. And so that's probably the closest I've seen to anyone getting sort of the, the effectiveness and the style of HBK, right? A lot of people try to copy it, but Dolph Ziggler is like the best I've seen as far as reenacting the style, the way that HBK did the, the super kick. And, uh, and yeah, Dolph Ziggler, super kick is his finisher. So, you know, he definitely has won a few matches with that move. Number three, Adam Cole, baby. I love Adam Cole. Adam Cole is one of my favorites. And he is on this list, not because he's a great wrestler. He's one of my favorites, but because he has an amazing super kick. And he uses it to me better than anyone ever. I truly, I truly believe that. So what I mean by that is he super kicks you wherever, right? Most people, when they do the super kick, they use it as their finisher and they just kick you in the neck, face, whatever, and that's it. Well, Adam Cole, if you're running up and you're a big guy, let's say he's he's small. Adam Cole's a small guy. So most people he's going up against is considered a big guy, right? He's usually a smaller guy has a disadvantage. However, if a big guy is coming at him, he will super kick their knee, right? Have them fall to one knee and then he can beat him up there. Or, or sometimes he'll, <clears throat> I think when he was undisputed era, he used to have a move where he was super kick guys. I've seen him. I've seen him super kick guys who are doing a backflip, right? So if somebody's doing a backflip towards him and they're like chest is open towards him, then the, process of doing a backflip and he'll super kick him right in the chin. You know what I mean? It looks really good. 
you know, when you do a super kick, you got to slap that, slap that hip. You don't slap that hip. It's not official, right? You're just doing, I don't know what you're doing, but that you got to smack that hip just as soon as you hit him to get that true effect. You know what I mean? And Adam Cole does it just as good as anybody. <clears throat> now, my last two, I'll be honest, may shock some folks, may shock some folks, may upset some folks, and that's okay. If you have a problem with it, you know me. I want the smoke. Hit me up. Let me know your opinions. However, number two, HBK, Shawn Michaels. Number two. Now, some would say this is blasphemous. The only reason we even have this list is due to HBK, HBK and his super kick. I understand that. Totally understand that. That gripe. However, if I'm being honest, his, HB, his super kick was okay. I mean, it was. It was good, but like I never like got out of my seat when HBK did a super kick. But mainly because I think if I'm being real, I'm not the biggest HBK fan. Um, I think, <laughs> I mean, if we're going down a rabbit hole. I think he's one of the more overrated wrestlers of all time. Now, hear me out. When I say overrated, I don't mean the guy can't wrestle. What are you talking about? No, I, I'm. I genuinely understand he's one of the greatest wrestlers, one of the greatest wrestling talents this business has ever seen. He can do anything and everything, do it really well. But due to longevity, I do have some, some, you know, I won't say concerns, but like people will be really putting him over Triple H in their all-time list, and I never understand it. I'll never understand it. Triple H did everything HBK did and 10 times more, right? He's won more belts than him. He's been in uh, more championship tag teams than him. He's been in more uh, historic rivalries than him. He's more well-liked. He didn't He didn't have that big of a break. Like, he went, his longevity's longer, you know? He's, like, it just, Triple H is, I'm putting Triple H higher than HBK in any all-time list. Like that's a that's a given to me. So as I go on a tangent about HBK all time ranking, I think his super kick was good, but it never it never made me go, oh my God, oh my God, he's about to do the super kick. Sort of like I always, you know, I got that feeling when Stone Cold's about to hit the stunner or, you know, Kane and Taker about to hit somebody with, you know, a double choke slam or, you know, I don't know, RK, you know, Randy Orton's about to hit somebody with the RKO. I never got that feeling with Shawn Michaels. It was just like, okay, super kick's coming, cool, whatever. And maybe that's just because I'm saturated by it and lived in a generation where it wasn't a protected move. However, it is what it is, right? And number one, you know, my hold your ones up in the air, folks. We, them, ones, the bloodline. The Usos, number one. Now, some say, some may say this is crazy. This is blasphemous. Like, this is wild. This is recency bias. However, I will say, Super Kick traces back to even Samoan roots. Rikishi, Yakazuma. Uh, like, <clears throat> like, it traces back. Yukozuna, like, all the way back. So, like, this isn't new to them. The, the Usos didn't use a super kick because it was trendy. Like that, this is tradition in their family of using just like using the Samoan drop or things like that, right? So, uh, or the splash off the top ropes. Like that's tradition. That's a traditional move that has been used throughout their family and their heritage for a long time. So I love. I pick the Usos number one because if you think about it. Usos might have some of the more historic super kicks of all time. Now, some would say, okay, HBK, he has the super kick against Shelton Benjamin or the super kick against Ric Flair to end his career or things of that nature, or the super kick to, to Undertaker to cause him to then run into a pedigree from Triple H that he kicked out of, right? One of the greatest kickouts of all time. And I would, and I would, I would respect that opinion. However, the Usos have the Jimmy uh, the Jimmy superkick, where he superkicks Roman for the first time in Saudi Arabia, Saudi Arabia, and everyone goes crazy. 
because that is the first domino to fall from the bloodline breaking up. And then I just spoke about Jay Uso super kicking Roman. Definitive moment. It's big time. It's huge. And they've used the move for a long time. And yeah, I just feel like they do it really well. They slap that hit. Again, you got to slap that hit. They do it really well. So, and they hit you with both, right? So HBK hits you with a single, with a uh, super kick. It's just one. With the Uso, where the Usos hit you with a super kick at the same time, right? So it's double the effect, you know? So my number one, the Usos, we'll go back over it again for top five super kicks. Number five, Kevin Owens. Number two, Dolph Ziggler. Number three, Adam Cole, baby. Number three, HBK. And number one, we, them ones, the Usos. So, guys, if you have an issue with my list, if you agree, disagree, whatever, let me know. Hit me up at the LMG Podcast on Twitter, at the LMG Podcast on uh, YouTube, or the League, the League of Melanated Gentlemen podcast on Facebook group. Hit me up. Let me know if you got a problem with it. You know what I mean? All the HBK fans, come and see me. If you got a problem, come and see me. You know what I mean? I want the smoke. So I appreciate you for tuning tuning in to this episode. Hope you had some fun. I hope you, you know, relieve your day a little bit. But uh, until then, we out. Yeah.